When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. we got a lot of recruiting stuff to cover, some off-season football topics to address, and also uh, let's start with basketball, since they had two games last week. One win by blowout, one win that looked like it wasn't going to happen at all, uh, but they rallied to knock off Virginia Tech, and you know, combined with the Duke win, they've got some momentum, which is maybe not something we thought Notre Dame basketball was going to be able to get much of this season. No, you really didn't. Two weeks ago, after the Pittsburgh loss, they fell to one and two. They're now five and two. They're in the upper, you know, one third of the ACC. And BC is, I mean, how many times have I said it, Tim? They they're terrible. Yeah. And, and Notre Dame took advantage of that again. They beat them by twenty eight, BC and twenty seven. On Saturday, the Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech win was big for them because Buzz Williams has that team moving in the right direction. And you're right, Pete, it looked like that was a game that Notre Dame wouldn't win. And they fought through. Demetrius Jackson, who suffered a hamstring uh, injury on Saturday, led them to that Virginia Tech win. And, I, I mean, I'm just really excited about the direction they're going. Four wins in a row. Yeah, you know that Zach August, you have to reprogram from game to game, and he's inconsistent, but... The progress made by Rex Fluger, I mean, if you've seen Nordane play the last three games, this kid is adding a different dimension to his game and Nordane's game every time out. Uh, defensively, which is something that they badly needed, pair him with Vastoria, and you've got two really, really good defenders on, on, on the court. Bonzi Colson coming off the bench. Mike Bray has reinvented him again. Every time he changes the lineup or tweaks the lineup, it seems to work in their favor. Yeah, the interesting thing about Fluger is he now will guard the best perimeter player on the other team, even if Vastoria is a slightly better defender because he's more experienced. Fluger's a better athlete, and it allows Vastoria, who has to score and play basketball on the other end more so than Fluger, to kind of guard the, sec- the second best yeah. guy. He used to have to spend 37 minutes chasing the best player and being your third best offensive player. That's tough. It's interesting because... With a healthy Jackson pressuring the ball, he hasn't been as good at that this year as he was in the past, I guess, but and Vastoria and Fluger, you would have a really good perimeter defense, but the problem is, of course, you don't have a good interior defense. But yeah. right now, 5-2, and two, there's two ways of looking at it. The Duke win will stick on that resume the whole time, as will Iowa. Two other five wins are BC, so it's going to be harder in conference coming up, and we, we kind of took a look at that this week at Syracuse. Probably no Demetrius Jackson. Then you should be able to beat Wake Forest with or without him at home. And then it gets hard. We can almost say 100% sure no Demetrius Jackson on Thursday, probably by Sunday at home against Wake Forest. Um, So that's a blow. And unusual, as Bray said after the game, a hamstring injury in basketball, it's fairly unusual. But it was, if you saw it, I didn't see it till after the game, the replay where he's just kind of lunging and reaching and... Those are some awfully taut hamstrings that, that Demetrius Jackson has, and he tweaked it a little bit. And, you know, the look on his face as he was coming off the court, he was coming right toward me, and it's like, ooh, I don't like the look on his face because you could see concern with, with the injury. But he should be good to go within a week, and, and I'm not sure they would have won at Syracuse with him. Obviously, right. you, had a, you had a better chance. 
And I wouldn't put anything past a break coach team going on the road. Now, I think I'd probably feel more I'd feel better about them going to Syracuse and winning if they were in more of a desperate mode, yeah. but they're not. They're five and two, and they've won four in a row. And uh, they'll play well and lose that game. That's probably yeah. because yeah. it's not a great Syracuse team, right. but it's still a Jim Beheim coach team. Now that he's back yeah. on the bench, <laughs> I get, it is again. A yeah. Jim <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, once for now, like the last five or six games. So um, I don't know. Interesting. I think great progress for them. And once again, when you count a Mike Bray coach team out, they find a way to rebound, you so know, to speak. <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. Uh, also happening over the weekend, sort of paired a little bit with the Boston College basketball game, was Notre Dame had a junior day, had a couple official visitors in, only one, a scholarship-type player, Nate Johnson from Tennessee, receivers, committed to Michigan, but still looking at Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's. I think we get questions every time there's a junior day or a big visit weekend, like, is Notre Dame going to get any commitments? Like, why aren't they getting any commitments? Was this weekend a total disaster? And really, especially this early on, the point of these visits is just to log the visit, to get more familiarity. And you look at the guys that came in for the weekend, with the exception of Corey Malone Hatcher, the defensive end from St. Joe, Michigan, who's been here almost a half dozen times. This was an introduction to Notre Dame. This wasn't a time where Notre Dame's going to sort of seal the deal. They did have three commitments on campus, which is always good for chemistry and maybe getting somebody like a Malone Hatcher to pop. But... um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, that's a name to know. He's a four-star receiver from outside Detroit. They had three really top Detroit area guys in. Lee Anthony Williams, a cornerback from Georgia, was a new offer. So, I mean, overall, it was a small junior day group. It's not going to be a big moment in that recruiting cycle, um, but it's just a, a way to accumulate visits. And overall, they did a pretty good job of that. So, should we start familiarizing ourselves with uh, by saying CMH with Corey yes. Malone Hatcher and, <laughs> that, that will and DPJ and Peoples Jones. Yeah, there, it, was a, uh, it was a pretty big list of hyphenated names with Corey Malone Hatcher, Donovan Peoples Jones, uh, Jalen Kelly Powell. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there are all sorts of acronym potential here for the future with Notre Dame recruiting in the 2017 class. But, I mean, overall, with signing day about a week away now, Where's Notre Dame in the 2017 Hall? They're in pretty good shape because they've got their offensive linemen, which it feels like they could just snap their fingers and get four-star offensive linemen every year. Uh, but they also have a top defensive end in Robert Beal from Georgia, and they have two really good tight ends in Brock Wright and Colk Met, who was here this weekend. Uh, and they didn't take a tight end this cycle. So overall, I think 2017, they're in pretty good shape. So we're nine days away from signing day and, and pretty much looking at, at – Five names or so, right? Demetrius Robertson and Ben Davis and um, Caleb Kelly, Jonathan Jones, Nate Johnson. Why don't you give us a, uh, an idea where Notre Dame stands with these guys, Pete? I think if, if signing day was today, Notre Dame would sign Caleb Kelly and Demetrius Robertson and Jonathan Jones. I think they would they will get three more guys in this class to finish with a, a – a full class uh, from a, just an NCAA numbers perspective at uh, at 25 guys. Um, that is really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is that is as exciting of a finish as you can have. Uh, Demetrius Robertson is just ridiculously good, and Caleb Kelly is ridiculously good as well. Well, it's not like two years ago where you're scrambling to add guys on signing day and you're bringing in. Daniel Cage was obviously a key addition, but this is mm-hmm. a different level of key addition on yeah. signing day. <clears throat> and it's Robertson and Kelly would be the top two guys in the class. Um, 
from a rankings yeah. perspective. So that is a big deal. Robertson would be the highest rated receiver Notre Dame has signed in the and I when I say ever, I mean in the internet recruiting industrial <laughs> rankings 2002, complex here. 2002, so right? 2002 is decade and a half. Ever started in 2002. Only Michael Floyd was rated higher in terms of linebackers in that same time. Only Manti and Jalen were rated higher than Caleb Kelly. So that's what you're getting if Notre Dame. It, you would get two five-star prospects, first time in three years. You've never had a receiver-linebacker combo in terms of the five-star guys coming in. It would give Brian Kelly a dozen five-star prospects, excluding Eddie Vanderdose, which matches the total signed by Weiss and Willingham combined in eight cycles. And, uh, I mean, overall, in terms of the class... I think it's a it's a good thing that you would look at this class and be like, well, it's just another good class for Notre Dame because that's that's where Notre Dame recruiting has been for the last four years. That's the expectation that you're going to sign a couple five-star kids and a boatload of four-star kids. And Notre Dame's not in a spot now where you have to pin everything on Manti Teo coming in and this guy's going to save the program or Jimmy Clausen coming in and this guy's going to save the program. You're going to get, you get Caleb Kelly and he's running with the second team. And that's totally fine. Right. And you get Demetrius Robertson, and he's splitting reps yeah. with a couple other yeah. receivers. That's a good thing. It's And that that was definitely not the case with Jalen Smith at linebacker when he signed. Certainly wasn't with Manti. Michael Floyd. Wasn't with Clawson. Wasn't with Floyd. <laughs> wasn't with Rudolph. Um, so Notre Dame actually has some real quality depth, and it's because they've had back-to-back-to-back-to-back really good classes. Notre Dame has not done the four straight quality classes yeah beginning with 11 you're right Mm -hmm. but what has me excited about this class in comparison to last year is the guys up front defensively I mean I I just I don't I don't know where the you know Micah do Treadways and Elijah Taylors and and um, and Brandon Tiasums are over the long haul but when I look at guys like Dalen Hayes and Khalid Kareem and and Caleb Kelly and guys like that I mean to me that's the huge difference between last year and this year yeah, I mean they have some actual edge rushers. I mean, I mean they, Jameer, yeah. jo- I mean Jones, right? Uh, yeah, you know, as a guy, uh, um, Julian O'Quara, that is a natural pass rusher. Yeah, I mean the fact that you're Julian O'Quara is like the fifth guy you're mentioning. Right. Yeah, in most, I mean Julian O'Quara would have been like one of the stars of the class last year because they just they struck out at that position. Um, so yeah, it gets back to they they hit. They hit their needs in this class in a way that they haven't in a while because safety and defensive end have been a need for a while and they have not addressed them. This year, they've been able to throw really quality numbers at those at those positions. Um, could they have found a way to get a, a better better quality among the safeties that they signed? Yeah, probably. But I think they feel pretty good about Jalen Elliott, Spencer Perry, Devin Studsill coming in. Dante Vaughn, does he move back there ultimately because he's 6'3"? They definitely address it with good quantity, if not elite quality. But you also sort of look back at like Max Redfield. It was a five-star in yeah. a lot of places, and it has not panned out. So. I think there's some elite quality that can come out of there. I mean, Devin Studstill sure. is listed as a three-star guy. That is, that is a very easily with the potential to be a four-star performer at Notre Dame. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then the length of guys like Perry and Vaughn. You know, just the sheer numbers back there. I wrote a story last week about, and you know, I mean, when you say depth, depth means it's guys that yeah. it's unproven yeah. certainly. But when you can go, you can go four and five deep at every position in the secondary next fall. That is completely unheard of at Notre Dame. And the corners depth, they're unproven, but 
everybody here likes Nick Watkins, Sean Crawford, and Nick Coleman for basically first-year players. I know Watkins is bur- burning through his eligibility a lot faster than anybody wanted him to, right. but th- those are all names you like. Right. The yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, yeah. it's a big difference from, well, I mean, 2002 or 12 might not be a great example since they was the best defense in Notre Dame history almost. But, <laughs> but, like, but not at this point in the year. <laughs> no, but I mean, we spent all that offseason, but like, what are they going to do at quarter? Yeah. Lowood blew out his Achilles. They're screwed. Um, they'd have, they have a lot more mix-and-match ability and, like, we all watched Notre Dame football from the press box, and we saw how little they played nickel or dime, and that was a real problem for Notre Dame. That should there's um, barring a complete catastrophe of epic medical proportions, they're going to have all sorts of mix and match ability at the back end of the defense next year in a way that they did not and that, this year. And that was something I know Pete you emphasized throughout the year. I mean, in this day and age, if you can't play nickel and dime, you're at a huge and disadvantage. It's such a matchup like game pl- now that. It was almost like the equivalent of they were playing goal line at the 50-yard line <laughs> they, because people are throwing four wide out there. That's what your base defense yeah. looks like. They haven't played a real nickel since 2011 when they had Blanton, Slaughter, and yeah. those guys still on the team. Because 12, they didn't. We always joked about it. Yeah. yeah it was Shumate would go in for two. He was good at the beginning of the year, then it was he couldn't play. Yeah. Because he was man-to-man coverage in the slot, if people want to think about that right now, was their nickel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shumate. And then at 13... Luke wasn't ready. 14, there was no option. 15, yeah. there was literally no option. They tried yeah. it. Yeah, they tried it in 13, 14. Farley Luke, patched Luke it around, around. With the f- doing, making plays in 14, but that's not a nickel defender. He's a he's a nickel guy. Oh, they didn't corner. Yeah. They didn't even have a way to fake it last yeah. year. I mean, right. yeah. they were just they were in a bad way. All right, before we go into segment two with our questions, let's quickly address the Tyler Luatua situation. I don't know that we have any determination as to whether he's going to be a Nordim next year or not. Pete, but no, uh, it's, there there was some speculate. There was a well, there was speculation, and there was a report. I don't know how credible it is from somebody that covers BYU that said he was exploring a transfer to get closer to home. Checked around on it and have not heard anything definitive that makes me think that's going to happen. Um, he is a kid from the West Coast who so had a couple concussions and hasn't played a, a ton, but has been a, a part of the rotation. Yeah, considered their best blocker at the position, yeah. although Smythe he was... Is, though, when he's in. Well, yeah. yeah, I think I think so. And certainly Smythe's a more well-rounded player. But Luatua was inconsistent last year as a blocker, I thought. And key situations in the red zone contributed to part of the, the, the problem in the red zone. Tyler Luatua, I think, you know, a very low-key, reserved, soft-spoken kid. I think... You know, a lot of people were somewhat surprised when he chose Notre Dame going that far away from home. So, I don't know. We'll see. It 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 hurts. You know, certainly. But if you're healthy at tight end, which you weren't in 2015, it probably would pretty much be moot. I think it hurts in that his he's the fourth tight end behind Wisher, but the skill set is different than Wisher yeah. and Jones. So he's a guy that could play. Yeah. He would play because he would be your second blocking tight end. Right. Doesn't play a lot if Durham Smythe stays healthy, but he would play. Situational yeah. player, yeah. but it's a nice situation yeah. to have somebody for it. And right. you got a couple good ones, good tight ends coming on in next horizon. year. So Okay. That's it for segment <laughs> one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll get into segment two. We've got a bunch of questions for our readers next. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insiders, our burning up the board segment, and we start with a question from Relly Sons of Notre Dame. If you were Brian Kelly, what three offseason directives do you give Brian Van Gorder to improve the defense? Simplify, simplify, simplify. That's it. That's my full answer. I mean, I don't know how realistic that is, but that's the path that you you got to do. Would that. certainly move along. Yeah, because you have a younger defense full of 
you want your your young guys to contribute, you have to simplify it. I mean, you need. I'm not talking about the Niles Morgan thing and the safeties anymore. Even well, safeties. McKelty Williams has to be involved. You have too many guys that you want to be not not necessarily guaranteed starters, but your pass rushers coming in, your corners that someone's going to get hurt out of the Luke or other starting corner thing. You need to have this be an easier defense to play so they can use their skills because. I like some of the skill set of the players on defense, but if they have to think, they're, they, they could be so much worse defensively than they were, not, not than 2014, but than last year. They're missing pros. They yeah. lost pros. Who, who, <laughs> are, who are yeah. the most experienced players on the defense? Isaac, Isaac Rochelle, which is not a, that's a play, position you could probably play without simplifying yeah. things. And then Teron Anu, Jones, Anu who Wallu. played 12 snaps last yeah, year. Anu Cole Luke. Cole Luke. And, a, and then, like, you're getting the Devin Butler range. Yeah. I don't count Redfield. So, so instead of Jalen Smith, Sheldon Day, and Corey Russell. Right. And a, in theor- a theoretically healthy Joe Schmidt, yeah. who, you know, seemed to understand yes. he, pyrotechnic he, I, I guess he got it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like, they, if you cannot simplify the defense, then you're just going to see the same thing as you saw last year, but probably worse. So I, don't, I just don't know how you could go into spring practice and Brian Kelly not go into Van Gorder and say, like, dude, you got it. You got to tone this down because if you don't, we're just going to be stuck in the same position as we were last yeah. year. I think this is a great question because if you go back to the old Brian Kelly directive when he got here in 2010, keep points down. Their offense is going to be good next year. Yes, just keep points down. Just give up 27 touchdowns in 12 games, and we'll go. You'll win 10 games. Yeah. I think you can't t- give up 35. I mean, tied in with reducing the call yeah. sheet. I mean, I think it's kind of one and the same. You've got to, you've got to be more fundamentally sound, and, and and we said it throughout the season. You can't give up twenty. What I don't know what it ended up being 26, 27, 70 yard touchdown drives, and then all the big plays they did. You're not fundamentally sound right. if that's what's happening. So, I mean, I think that it, it goes hand in hand. Reduce the call sheet. If you reduce the call sheet, you become a more fundamentally sound it's defense. So strange. You weren't fundamentally sound with Joe Schmidt, Jalen Smith. I know. I, it, it, I, it doesn't seem to make sense <laughs> at all. But And then the other directive is you've got to get Niles Morgan playing quality football, consistent football, where, where you can take advantage of all the things. What were some of the things that you were saying that Brian Kelly was talking about? I look back his freshman year. He called him superhero-ish. In his playmaking abilities, or in his athleticism, excuse me. And then he, and he mentioned being how he's he's a bull studying and, and wanting to learn, and no matter how much Van Gorder yells at him, he is focused and comes every well, day if, he, if he's a superhero, what was Jalen Smith? That's right. I don't know how studious bulls are, but just... Yeah. All right, moving on to the next question. Golden by name, what position group needs to improve most during the offseason to give Notre Dame... The best shot at repeating a double-digit win. The only position I think you can say that needs improvement on offense from last year's tight end, obviously, and they need to be healthy and, and, and more consistent. But everything else is on the defensive side of the ball, right? Safety. The back end. The, the back seven. Safety. Don't have the worst safeties of a major bowl team. And linebacker. I mean, I yeah. you know, I mean, when you consider what you've lost at linebacker, that oh, would be the Oh, but improve over last year's oh, ability. Well, Safety. <laughs> it's there yeah, yeah, yeah. safety is clearly sure. first. I, yeah, safety is. I would. I could throw offensive line at number two because they lost their two best players. I think by far. I think Mike McGlinchey has a chance to be great. Their two most consistent players. Although I don't, you know, I mean, Quentin Nelson. Their two best players. Quentin Nelson 
Over Ronnie Stanley and Nick Martin? I Over maybe Nick Martin. I mean, in terms of just sheer mm. ability. But Quentin, no, but Quentin he's, Nelson he's is, saying Quentin Nelson 2015 only versus Nick Martin 2015 yeah. only. Not the future of Quentin, Quentin Nelson. Nelson could be, at the end, a huge stud. But I would and be, he's got some great... And he showed some of it last year. But that, that group, minus Stanley, minus a two-time captain in Nick Martin, has to improve a lot. Because I think for Notre Dame's... <laughs> Notre Dame's offense is not going to have the explosive downfield ability. It's going to have to be, I think that offense is going to have to be a punch you in the mouth again and again and again. And you need the offensive line to make that happen. So All right. I think we're getting work. into semantics a little bit, but I, I, I would, I would put play for play over the course of 13 games, play for play one after another. I would put Quentin Nelson's perform overall performance. Okay. At so, or above Nick Martin, just because of just sheer physical ability. But you would remove that. You're removing leadership and all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's a that's a different thing. Yeah. Quentin Nelson's just trying to go yeah. out there and play right. well. But the amount of times, you know, doing the tail of the tape, and, and we're all studying mm-hmm. the, the the tape obviously in play by play. But the amount of times that Quentin Nelson went from block to second mm-hmm. level block on the same it's play were, was really amazing for. For an inexperienced college football sure. player, and I think now, in fairness, we have to we'll be grading him next year as not a. I can't believe how good he is as a rookie for the first time. You do get a benefit. You, of, you do get, get the automatic benefit, benefit of the doubt. But I don't. Yeah. I don't think that there. I'm beating this to death here. But I mean, I don't think that there were that many times where you said, "Oh, Quentin Nelson blew that." Aside. No, there no, there really I weren't. There were, but I mean, there, there were, were some, there yeah, some because he was inexperienced. Ones. But man, not not too many. He's going to be a great. Obviously, he's going to be. Yeah, a great I think guy. we all agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Next up, N.D. Troy B., who is your 2016 pick for Breakout Player of the Year? Quentin Nelson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was already great. He was great. He can't count. Uh, if you go veteran, mine's Torrey Hunter. And if you go youngster, talent, let's fall into the trap of every freshman that plays will be awesome as a sophomore, Alizé Jones. But hey, he's, he's a logical one. He's a real... I'm not jumping the gun like I have in the past from um, freshman to sophomore. Can I say Demetrius Robertson? Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> because if he goes to Notre Dame, he'll be a breakout player. But, you know, I mean, I don't want to read too much into Nick Watkins suddenly getting thrown into a starting position in the Fiesta Bowl, yeah. but I thought he played pretty too. well. And maybe that's just what it takes to, you know, really flip the light switch on. Uh, Durham Smythe, I would like to think. Um, Alex Bars, I thought I thought what he showed in the brief amount of time that he played in some significant games, the USC game, mm-hmm. that he was really good. And again, if Niles Morgan isn't one of those, then well, you probably have yeah, a problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I picked Torrey Hunter last year, so I don't think I can go back to I can't, that well. I can't picture Betty this year. So, like, he no. broke out. He broke out to some <laughs> extent this year. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to go Equimania St. Brown on offense. Defensively, I think it just has to be Niles Morgan. Like, they can't afford for that to not be the answer. Um, so, yeah, those are my two guys. All right, question for Pete uh, from Mel12170. Pete, how would you rank the new coaches on the recruiting trail, and do you see them getting better next year? Yes, I do see them getting better, <laughs> better next year. I think Autry Denson would be – you know, it's between Mike Sanford and Autry Denson for who's done the best job. Um, and I'm not sure – I don't know who I'd put number one. I think they they both have had really, really good first years on the trail. I think you look at Denson and the volume that they've gotten out of Florida has been impressive. Um, but I'm not a big volume guy in terms of like just because you got these yeah. guys from your area, that means you were a great recruiter. I, I think Denson does a really good job. But, I mean, the guys I got from Florida – 
Tony Jones. You know, you got Devin Studsill, Parker Boudreaux, Dion McIntosh. It's a, I mean, it's a good, Kevin Stefferson, it's a good group. I don't know if there's a great recruiting story in there, too, where you just, you went out and you beat Florida and Florida State head to head for a guy. But that's, those are five guys who are, yeah. should should be the, decent. For, I, I think, and I think that's where Sanford getting involved with Demetrius Robertson, recruiting on the West Coast. Um, I, I think he's done a really good job as well. And then after that, probably Gilmore would be three and Light would be four. I did talk to Brian Kelly about Todd Light as a recruiter a little bit during the Fiesta Bowl week, and he said that he felt like they were getting more yeah. out of him than they expected. And they've had a good year recruiting defensive backs, so some of that credit has to go to Todd it, Light. It's, it's a great question. The reason it's a great question is because you can't pick between the two that you right? mentioned. No. That's a that's a that's a that's a really and positive thing. Keith Gilmore recruits Michigan, Dalen Hayes and Khalid Karima from Michigan. Who? And they're both potential defensive linemen and he's a defensive line coach. So certainly I think two Keith of the Gilmore's top done a good five job. guys in the class. Yeah. I, think, I, I would put them there. Yeah, I think all four of them are have proven to be good recruiters. Uh, I think Sanford and Denson have a chance to be great recruiters. And I think that uh, Todd Light will grow into that position more as, as we go forward. Next from Dashing Domer. In the fortunate event that Andy does land Demetrius Robertson, what is the likelihood they would choose to try him in the secondary next season to get a five-star impact player at a position of critical need? I I have no doubt that if you put him at safety, he'd be a five-star player there too. But After three years of developing the system. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't put Demetrius Robertson on defense. This is a, to me, I mean, that's a, that's an NFL wide receiver. When you watch his work in the camps, you watch him go against other quality, that's an NFL wide receiver three years yes. from now or four years from now. And I mentioned last week, I like the potential of Notre Dame's wide receiver core right now, but on this group, losing Will Fuller, I like their college potential. They only have, I took some heat on this, one if you look at it, potential quote-unquote future All-American in Equinemius St. Brown. Corey Robinson's fine. Miles Boykin will be a very good player, I think. I agree with you on that. C.J. Sanders is a dynamic return man and will be a good slot receiver. Uh, other guys are quality players. Torrey Hunter Jr. I think will be their best overall wide receiver next year. But if you add him to that mix, Robertson, then it, I mean, that, that's playmaking ability that they don't have. They lost it in Will Fuller. And now, yeah. yeah. The answer is hell no, they're not right. doing that. Right. <laughs> right. Baby Buster, you've talked on the podcast recently about Brian Kelly's ability to find underrated talent. This got me to thinking, who is the best sleeper of the Kelly era? Um, Will Fuller wasn't a sleeper, right? Was he a three-star he when he a, came out? He I mean, I don't know that you would put him. Time, but yeah. I mean, really, the, Tyler Eifert, right? I mean, Tyler Eifert's the one that emerged. But he finally got healthy, and then he... He was Weiss's recruit, I guess, and he was he Kelly's, was, pl- Kelly's player. He emerged yeah. under Kelly. Sure. So that to and me he's that's clearly the one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's yeah. player development there. But he may have Tyler Eifer probably was going to develop whether it was Charlie Weiss or whoever. I would say for recruiting them and develop, developing them, I mean Procise, right? You know, he was four star on Scout the Definitely. whole time, but he was a safety to wide receiver to dynamic running back. Who would that's, you add to that list, Pete? Um yeah, you know, I think ProSize would probably be number one. His career arc is his all career development. was weird, yeah. and like you know, how many people play three different positions? Right. Right. Um, so yeah, he would be really high on my list. You know, I don't, 
I don't think I'd throw like Nick Martin. I was in gonna there. say Nick Martin, but he's a three-star guy. Took time. To develop, um, yeah. Took time to develop as offensive linemen do. You know, I I, I think Jerron Jones was a big-time recruit, but I don't know if he had like a big-time work ethic and personality. No, he and I think lost the de- his star too. I mean, the, he dropped the development right. that the staff got with Jerron Jones. I think is impressive and at least worth mentioning in this conversation. And uh, we probably should bring this up, Joe Schmidt. Yeah, that guy. That guy. Right? Well, and no, I would, he, he, he and wanted I, him. And he first of all, Jerron, <laughs> with regard to your comment about Jerron Jones, anybody within the Notre Dame football program in the first fall with Jerron Jones would have told you that is not a player. We're not going to get productivity right, out of him. Right. Another guy, a guy that I would, so, I mean, the development there is outstanding. Another guy I'd throw in there, you know, another whipping boy like, like Joe Schmidt uh, was Matthias yeah, Farley. I mean, one. Matthias Farley switching a couple positions came in as an athlete, not really sure where he can contribute. You got a ton of mileage out of Matthias Farley, including a guy that evolved into a captain. Um, a guy like Tommy Reese would have. Yeah. Doesn't he have to be number one on that list? Or Schmidt. He was the quarterback. They had nothing. They had absolutely yeah. nothing at that position. And he won a ton of games. Whether he deserved Six. credit for the wins, he was the quarterback when they yeah, won. He won a ton of he won a lot of games in eleven and thirteen. When he was a sophomore and a senior, and then he was that relief pitcher in 2012. That I mean, he won the right. Stanford game for them. Uh, got them through BYU. He won the Michigan won game. Won the for Michigan them. game yeah. for them. You know, I think Reese to me would be number one on my list. Um, I like Chris Brown out of high school, even though he was a three star. But he had in a lot places. of development to he, do. He took a long time to to get good. Um, you know, Romeo, Romeo Carr and Chris Brown are basically the same story, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Reese was a guy that we, holy crap, we have to play him right away. We do not have another choice. And the team managed along just fine. Maybe Inclu- he including his freshman year when right. things were real bad. Maybe yeah. he didn't win games, but he didn't lose them. And ultimately yeah. that is what his responsibility is. This is a great is. question because the Will Fuller thing, look, it doesn't matter if he's a four-star. Will right, Fuller... Yeah. Is a thousand times better than people thought he was going to be. Yes. So that's a great. But that, that's he was true. an underrated four star. Yes, yeah. But this is that's uh, that's a lot. Of, he really there's a lot of guys through the tiers, and then yet the guy you inherited is definitely number one. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's awesome. on, on ESPN, <laughs> I was looking back through their recruiting rankings. Will Fuller was the worst guy in that class, and the only players with a lower grade than Will Fuller in the Kelly era on ESPN, I think, are John Shannon. Luke Massa. Fuller wins. We're waiting for you to throw a name out there. No, there, there isn't one. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a name well, for it. That's why ESPN really isn't in the business of evaluating high school talent. Yeah. So, um, long question. Last question. You want to condense it for us, Pete? Just say the name. M. Venturi. Basically, you could just be condensed down to what's up with Niles Morgan? When's he going to play? What's the issue? I wrote a whole story about it on the weekend. I mean, look, it's kind of brought up here in the question. Niles Morgan wasn't just behind Joe Schmidt because when Notre Dame needed a goal line package, they used Coney and Jarrett Grace. When they needed someone to start against the option, they used Tranquil and Martini. Mm -hmm. When they needed someone to sub in for Anawalu to get bigger, they put in Grace. When Jalen Smith got hurt, they put in Coney and Grace. They used every linebacker on the team that didn't redshirt. No, every linebacker on the team that didn't redshirt played a role except for Niles Morgan. So he couldn't find he couldn't find the run fit on goal line. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. They, they went I mean, how is that true freshman Coney? How is that possible? And Grace and I understand Grace. I mean, that that makes sense. That's a good role. But it was just odd that they went with Coney <laughs> over Niles Morgan there to me. I don't think any of us understand it. No, I don't. Right? Get I mean, it. I, I don't understand it. All we know is Niles Morgan needs to be really good beginning this spring, and that's. I mean, it's on Niles Morgan. I know a lot of people want to. Oh, it's on Brian Van Gorder. Well, sure it is. Yeah, it's also Niles Morgan, sure. too. Niles Morgan has to be better. But there are no more excuses. The third year in the program, he's got to be a key player for Notre Dame right now, immediately. Yeah, I've, I have nothing to add on that one. I mean, that's <laughs> that's they are where they are. Um, I def, definitely have a concern now that... You he's know, a five-star middle linebacker we're all worried not, about. As we're junior. not having the same conversation about Max Redfield two years ago. Like, how can you not get him on the field? Why isn't he playing? What's with the coaches? Can't they simplify it? And then he gets on the field, and you see all those inconsistencies pop up. Are we going to see the same thing with Niles Morgan next we're year? We're going to – there I mean, is like, going I to mean, be some point where somebody is going to say, boy, we're having – it's going to be hard to keep Greer Martini <laughs> off the field. I knew you were going to say that. Because <laughs> he and, – yeah. and, and really, I mean, I, I really liked a lot of what he did this year Me because too. you could see him anticipating the play, which means he has a good football IQ and he's studied the opponent and he knows what the opponent is going to do. I go back to what Brian Kelly said two springs ago or maybe it was two falls ago, if we can't get guys like Jalen Smith and Max Redfield on the field, that's our fault. I he think said you've got to get Niles Morgan on the field. You have to be able to. No question. All right, well, that's it for this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We'll be back next Monday, previewing National Signing Day, uh, and then, of course, we'll have a Signing Day podcast as well. So until February 1st, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, and Pete Sampson, thanks for listening.